Welcome back to the peripheral. Uh, first, I want to start out with uh, just explaining the inception of the peripheral. A few years ago, during Generation Y, I uh, interviewed a woman named Samantha who had, uh, who was uh, married to a man who was involved with drugs and whatnot, and this led to his murder. And uh, at that point, I started interviewing individuals. Uh, the first interview I did was the, the guy that got stabbed in Toronto. The episode name is Stabbed in the Back. And then I did another interview uh, with a lady who uh, was living at home and her father was an alcoholic and pretty abusive. And she had to make a very rough decision. That episode is on my Patreon. Uh, it's called Millie the Serpent Slayer. And at that point, it became very obvious to me that I really enjoyed hearing these people's stories. Uh, I think back to when I first started listening to podcasts and whether it, whether it was like interview style podcasts like Joe Rogan or just pure storytelling podcasts like Snap Judgment. And I just wanted to put that out there. I wanted to create that. I wanted to somehow capture that. And then when it came to people's lack of empathy for others, people's lack of understanding for mental illness or sexual assault, and, and just the internet's overall uh, knee-jerk reaction to always be negative and snarky, I guess this is sort of my punk rock roots, is I always want to counter what's popular. And sadly enough, what's popular is victim blaming and being negative. So I wanted to go positive. I wanted to raise awareness. I wanted to educate. I wanted to inform. I wanted to uh, just put out another message. And with the Generation Y or with true crime, you have to gloss over the topics such as drug addiction, mental illness, or sexual assault in lieu of the story. You can't just stop in the middle of an episode and go on a huge you know, diatribe about stats and figures of mental illness. You just have to tell the story. You have to keep going. And sometimes I felt like these topics were being glossed over and I didn't want to gloss over them. So here we have the peripheral where we get a firsthand account from somebody about a topic. Now, uh, most of my guests are not experts. Most of my guests are not professionals. There are a few, but most of it's uh, personal stories. So it's what I wanted to do. And the peripheral has now changed into what it is today. I think you could tell that my initial idea of it is slightly different now. I answered these questions over the period of a couple days, so my voice might change a little bit from question to question. Just deal with it. But I hope you enjoy this Q&A. A listener of mine named Misty wanted to ask a question. And I said, you know what? I'll answer more than one question. So she started asking people on Facebook and social media to write in questions. And uh, I reposted it before you know it. I had a bunch of questions. So it's almost the end of the year. I have a few more episodes I've been working on, but they've been delayed from 
technical issues or editing issues. So I thought, well, I'll put out a Q&A episode because some of you want to know more about me and the process behind the Generation Y or the peripheral. So here goes nothing. Uh, so we're going to start with uh, Misty. She says, she asks, is there an interview that you wish you could do over? If so, which interview and why? Uh, probably a lame answer, but uh, I wish I could do over a few interviews because the audio quality got screwed up by Skype or some technical difficulty. I wouldn't really want to do any of the interviews over because I feel that they're perfect as they are. Uh, the moment I talk to the person is what they felt and how they said it is the way they naturally would have said it. So I would only do a few interviews over because of technical difficulties, not because I felt that they didn't uh, tell the story correctly or if I didn't ask a certain question correctly. I think I can edit and make them better after the fact anyways. Uh, Amanda wrote in and she says, of all the episodes you've recorded, which one has been the most difficult and why? Now, I'm sure that she probably means most difficult as in subject matter. Uh, so as far as that goes, it's hard to choose because whether it be addiction or sexual assault or death, I think of remembering Annie or grief versus depression or the episode on death. It's, it's just hard to, to comprehend that. Uh, I will say that the most difficult one for me to um, take in was actually the uh, bulimia episode about eating disorders. I understand addiction. I understand self-harm, but I did not have a grasp on eating disorders. Just not something I'd come across in my lifetime. Or if I had, I didn't know about it. So it was really hard for me to grasp how somebody could binge and purge adhering to these strict guidelines that they've created in their head and these self-image issues and everything. It was really hard for me. And I just wanted to reach out to my guests and just hug them and tell them it's going to be okay and stop doing that. Uh, but if I relate an eating disorder to addiction or self-harm, like cutting, it actually makes sense to me again. And it's not any easier to take, but it was a understanding that I had to get over. Uh, but it was shocking to me to hear firsthand about these things. Brooke asks, I wonder what Justin's day-to-day -day life is like. Uh, like, would love a walkthrough, a typical week for you. I try to get up at between 8 and 8.30 every morning and either take a walk if it's warm enough outside or I go straight to a coffee shop and I edit. And that's what I do just about every day of the week. I'm either editing or researching. Aaron and I typically record on Thursday nights. We are releasing on Sunday. And until more recently... I was actually taking the recording from Thursday night, editing it Friday or Saturday, doing all the ads and everything and giving it to Aaron 
so he could release it on Sunday for the Generation Y. Now having the peripheral podcast for you know over two years, I've had to break that up. And Aaron and I have actually gotten ahead on the Generation Y. So every now and then you'll hear us talk about an announcement of something that is still relevant, but everything's a week or two delayed now. It's it's good. Uh, so most days I will edit from eight something in the morning to sometime in the afternoon. I've actually switched to decaf coffee because drinking that crap every day was wigging me out and preventing me from sleeping at night. Uh, every now and then I'll have regular, but I've, I, I just, when I'm sitting at a coffee shop, I, I want to drink something warm and I want to pay for something so I can sit there most of the day. I don't want to just go there and, you know, not buy anything. Um, come five o'clock at night, I go home and, uh, eat dinner with the wife and probably watch TV shows or watch a movie, something like that. Pretty basic and boring. (laughs) Amanda asks, are there some topics you want to approach but don't know how? Do you normally think of a topic before you find somebody for an interview? Being a man, I don't know that much about women's issues. So I just approach them the best I can and just ask questions. But those are the ones I probably struggle with the most. Do you normally think of a topic before you find somebody for an interview? No, uh, I've actually reached out to a few people during the last couple of years to ask them to interview on the peripheral. But usually when I'm reaching out to somebody, they're not a fan or a listener of the show. They're just a person that I found that I think has a great story that I wanted to interview and they don't know me from anyone. So I think I've only had one person maybe that has come on the show that I wanted to reach out to. And that was Ruckus, who was the uh, uh, escort. And I think the only reason why I was able to get him on the show was because of uh, Kayla Jane from episode two knew him and asked him for me. But anyone else that I've asked directly has turned me down. So all the topics I get on the show are just people that have written in their stories. And I just go through and interview the people that uh, I think are, I guess, most interesting or just the next one in line. Uh, I don't really choose the topics. I more or less just choose the order that I interview and release the episodes in. Wally says, do you have any updates on former guests? And he's asked this question uh, before on social media. I am working on an updates episode. And maybe if anyone's listening that was a former guest, if you have an update, if you want, go ahead and record it on your phone. If you're in a quiet place, just hit record on your phone and, and record where you're at today. The only reason why I suggest that is because the logistical time it would take me to go back through every episode, find everyone's contact information, and then schedule it would take me months, if not a year. If you're listening and you were a former guest on the show and you have an update, there's something that's happened, go ahead and record yourself and send it to me, theperipheralpodcast.com at gmail or reach out to me on social media. I'll show you how to uh, upload and share a file. So great idea, Wally. 
Maureen asks, tell me more about your time in Westlake Village. From my very first memory, when I was a child, I woke up in a house in Westlake Village, and that's uh, in between Los Angeles and Thousand Oaks, I guess. It's about an hour north of Los Angeles. I went to White Oak Elementary School. Uh, I used to go to the Thousand Oaks Mall. I think that's where I saw Empire Strikes Back in the movie theater. Uh, I used to hang out at an arcade there called The Tilt. I had no idea if this, if any of this stuff is still there. And I lived on a street called Regent's Court. About that time, uh, my mom and my dad at the time were going through a divorce, so we moved and I ended up uh, living in the colony, which was a, a duplex off of Agura Road. And it was up on a mountain and there was always brush fires that would happen uh, and they would come right up to my backyard. And whenever that would happen, uh, all the animals in the forest would come into the neighborhood. So you have rattlesnakes, rabbits, deer, coyotes, everything. It was always a fun time. And then um, in 1988, uh, I was in sixth grade. My mom decided to move to Kansas City because she had family here. So in middle school, I moved to Kansas City. Brooke has a second question. I was also wondering about being a podcaster. Can you make money doing it? How much do you make on average? Do you have any suggestions on what on what to look into if you want to do that? Uh, my husband and I were thinking about doing one, uh, but we're not sure. We'd like to hear some advice, insight. This is, uh, I'm going to give you a big, long explanation of podcasting. So uh, anyone that's not interested in podcasting, you might just skip forward a few minutes, but uh, I'm going to give you the breakdowns. Podcasting is not that hard, and most of the people that will give you advice on podcasting are probably perfectionists and uh, were the kids with all the money and the toys. So I'm going to give you a very basic poor man's version of how to podcast. I am talking to you right now on a mic, a USB microphone from Amazon that costs, I don't know, 60 to $80. Uh, the microphone that I use for Generation Y is a Shure microphone and it probably cost $80. You don't need a $400 microphone. I use dynamic mics, not condenser mics, which a lot of people would cringe, especially if they're in radio, because a condenser mic will catch all of the uh, range of your voice, whereas a dynamic mic doesn't have quite the range. Now, have you noticed that this uh, has affected my success in podcasting that I use dynamic mics and not condenser? Obviously not. Uh, the difference between a condenser mic and a dynamic mic, uh, think of a dynamic mic is what a lead singer in a band would use. So you have uh, the drummer and the guitarist and everybody playing, but you just hear the singer singing through that microphone. It's because the dynamic mic doesn't pick up a lot of the other noises around. It's more directional, pointing right at the singer. Whereas a condenser mic is going to pick up everything in the room, your neighbor mowing the yard, the dog barking down the street. So if you use a condenser mic, you need a sound studio. Whereas with a dynamic mic, not so much. Most people already have a computer or laptop. 
There is a freeware program called Audacity. It will get the job done. I've heard some horror stories about Audacity corrupting files and you losing an entire interview, but for the most part, it's a good program for a beginner. There are tons of uh, tutorials out there that will show you how to use it. Otherwise, any audio recording program, uh, some people just use their phone. They'll just get the uh, voice recorder on their phone, set their phone in the middle of the room, and record. The sound quality on that is going to be a little bit more hollow or echoey, but I would say it's content over quality, but at the same time, it's got to be listenable. I have a mixer, a digital recorder, and a bunch more equipment because I do more than just uh, record myself. I record with other people. But if you're doing just a solo or monologue, you just get a USB mic and plug it into your computer, use Audacity, Audition, or any recording program, and just go to town. If you're recording more than one person, there are adapters, USB adapters, or you can get a mixer and get two microphones. Or if all of your guests, like the peripheral, they're all remote and you're doing it online, then you can use uh, Skype recorders or other types of recorders to record the call. It's not that hard. There's a hundred ways to do things. So the way I do them isn't the best way. It's just the way I do it. There's a bunch of other people that do it differently. And when you're first starting out, you know, you need good ratings and reviews, but after you get somewhat established, you don't need to go read your reviews anymore, especially the one star reviews. I don't really believe in reading bad reviews anymore. I'm doing what I'm doing and I've been doing it for years. I'm not going to change because, you know, some dude in Idaho says that uh, I need to do something different. Okay. No offense to anyone that lives in Idaho. Uh, I don't care how constructive his criticism may be. I've been creating podcasts the way I've been doing it, and I'm not going to change. I haven't read an iTunes review in a while. So ratings and reviews only help if somebody goes out to the podcast and is looking and seeing if you have a one-star review, maybe they pass you over. Most people, I don't think, find another podcast by going out and reading reviews it's more or less word of mouth, and that's how you get more, uh, more listeners. Uh, social media and, and my best advice for expanding your, your listenership is to be a guest on another podcast, and especially one that's bigger than yours. So if you are a guest on other podcasts, and if you, know, if you have other podcasters as a guest on yours or somebody famous, whatever... That's the best way to really get your podcast name out there because now you have their audience listening to you. You have your audience listening to them. Uh, other podcasters are more than willing to be on your show because we like to talk a lot about ourselves even. I would, I would suggest that. As far as monetizing or making money off a podcast, for people that are just starting out, indie podcasters, you're not going to get any advertisers at first. You're not going to have a lot of sponsors. So you're going to have to either sell merch or use Patreon or some other crowdsourcing app or, you know, thing, whether it be Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Patreon, or just PayPal's pay me option. 
you're going to have to go that route to monetize because most sponsors and advertisers, they don't want to talk to you until you're big and established. You know, if you have a a local sponsor of some type that's just giving you a flat rate of $100 per episode, but if you're a bigger podcast, they pay you based on something called CPM, which is typically it's between $10 and $45 per every thousand downloads. So if you have a $10 CPM, that's $10 for every thousand. So if you got thousand downloads at $10 CPM, that would be $10. If you had, uh, I guess what, 10,000 downloads, it would be $1,000. My math is fudging right now. Yes, you can make money. And I quit my job uh, in 2015 to do podcasting full time. I'm a total miser and I live well below my means. So I was able to make it work. Weirdly enough for me, it was uh, hard to transition from having a corporate job to being self-employed, so it's taken me a while to find my groove, but you can get paid for podcasting. You just have to, you have to have a well-established podcast in order to either A, join a network or B, get sponsors. Uh, These numbers will be all over the place, but... Most of the sales reps and uh, agents I've spoken with have said that unless you have 30,000 downloads on one episode in the first 30 days, most sponsors and advertisers won't even talk to you, and most uh, large networks won't sign you. They don't want to deal with a small-time podcast. Now, I will give you the caveat that there are a ton of podcasts out there with less than 30,000 downloads per episode in the first 30 days that have advertisers and sponsors, but I don't have sponsors on the uh, peripheral because it's not big enough. And plus, I'm not in this for the money. Here's a uh, breakdown of podcasts. There's a guy out there, uh, Rob Walsh. He's awesome, very knowledgeable. I'm not trying to sell you on anything, but Lipson is one of the better hosting companies out there. But these numbers from Rob, uh, the bottom 50% of podcasts get about 150 downloads per episode in the first 30 days. The top 20 podcasts get around 1,200 downloads per episode. Top 10 are 3,300 downloads. Top five are 8,000 downloads per episode in the first 30 days. Top two is 19,000 downloads. And to be in the top 1%, you only need 33,000 downloads in the first 30 days. Now, that's pretty cool, but you have to take into account there's podcasts out there like Serial or Joe Rogan who get millions of downloads. But for you to be doing really well, those numbers aren't that out of reach or they're not that unattainable. I would say that uh, the peripheral is in the top 5%, whereas Generation Y is definitely in the top 1%. It's easier to join a network to get sponsors because they find the sponsors for you as opposed to you uh, trying to engage people to sponsor you. If that's what you do and you uh, used to be like a marketing network person, then great. But if you're just a regular Joe like me, 
it's not that easy to approach and cold call and whatnot. Also, uh, the likes of Stamps.com, Casper, Third Love, whatever, they're not going to talk to you. They only talk to a middleman, which is Midroll, Wondery, uh, Performance Bridge, or any number of networks or hosting companies that they're going to sponsor through. And of course, the middleman's going to take their cut too. You can choose to edit your podcast or not. There are plenty of podcasts out there that just hit record, people talk, and they hit stop, and they hit publish. That works. I would suggest minimal editing. So again, back to Audacity, Audition, or GarageBand, whatever, because people need to sympathize with the content. And if you're talking over each other, or if it's just a mess, it might turn some people off. And honestly, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts that don't edit. Uh, For recording remote calls, you can use uh, Google Voice, uh, Skype. There's a ton of options out there. Just find which one works for you and which one is easiest for your guest to use. If I could do things over, I would highly suggest, especially for uh, female podcasters, to you don't expose yourself too much online, meaning don't expose too much private information about yourself. I might even use an alias, not your real name, or just use your first name. Uh, Just keep people at an arm's reach. Last thing about starting a podcast is try not to alienate your audience. Uh, I wouldn't bring up religion, politics, gun control, abortion. If your podcast has nothing to do with those topics, there is no reason to bring them up. Now, if your podcast is about politics or commentary on news and current events, well, say whatever you want. But if you're just inserting your opinion about these things just to be heard, you're going to alienate half your audience for for nothing. Nighttime Pod, uh, Jordan, known him for a while, he asks a series of questions. If you could go back and right some wrongs, what changes would you make with Gen Y and the peripheral? With Generation Y, uh, this is an easy answer for me. I would have never covered the Adnan uh, Heyman Lee case. It's not worth it. It's like stepping into a snake pit, whether it be people who think he's guilty or innocent. Uh, I cannot speak freely and openly about that case without somebody twisting my words or trying to uh, assign some sort of meaning or something to it. It's just not worth it. If I say something critical about the evidence, then the anti-Adnan crowd will attack me. If I, uh, Even if I say something positive about Adnan, if I don't say it in the way that the narrative is, then I get attacked for it. So straight up, I would have never covered that episode, and I recommend that nobody cover that episode. Undisclosed, Serial, uh, uh, Truth and Justice. There are plenty of uh, podcasts out there that cover it, and there's plenty of information out there. I stay away from it. Um, with the peripheral, there was a arrest episode, getting arrested, and I love hearing people's stories, no matter what the story is, and people getting arrested. It's kind of interesting to hear what happens, but when you're getting arrested, it's not the best uh, experience for you, 
people have a lot of complaints about the process and and whatnot. So uh, a lot of listeners did not appreciate hearing people getting arrested and complaining about it because they're like, you're stupid. You got arrested. You deserve what you get. And I'm just in it for the storytelling and the uh, situation. I don't apply much morality to it. I don't know if I will ever do another arrest episode again or anything like that because people just get uh, a little too uh, angsty and triggered about it. Something else I would change uh, just on the back end of the peripheral is I would have asked for help a lot sooner. I've been doing this by myself for a while, running the social media, uh, trying to schedule with listeners and guests and editing and everything. And I'll tell you right now that I'm not the most organized person. And uh, I feel like I've been floundering and failing at the peripheral since the beginning. I've reached out or other people have actually reached out to me. Uh, Listeners helped me with my logo, helped me with social media, even helped me with editing. I am a little bit of a control freak when it comes to the peripheral and my project, but I need help. Everyone needs help. You can't take it on all yourself. And I would have asked for help a long time ago. And anyone that thinks, oh, well, the peripheral is such an awesome podcast and you're such a, you're such a success. Well, I think I'm an utter failure. And now I feel like I'm getting more on the ball. Nighttime Pod asks, uh, what episodes are you most or least proud of? That's like asking who's your favorite child. And it's really hard. I will say that I'm I'm torn when uh, when people ask me, you know, what episode should I listen to first on the peripheral? I personally had a very strong interest in the Silk Road, so the Silk Road episode with Brock, who came on, I find that one fascinating. Uh, remembering Annie about Rob, who went to China and his daughter was sick. I mean, if you're not crying by the end of that episode, then there's something wrong with you. The stalker episode, most of my childhood life, I watched my sister deal with stalkers. So it has a place in my heart. Any addiction or mental illness episode has a place in my heart because I've had that in my own family. Um, So I really just try to make every episode the best. I will say that Episodes that I'm least proud about uh, probably never saw the light light of day, uh, and I would have to base it less on content and more on uh, audio quality. And uh, there is a few episodes that I've done where, you know, speaking with the guest on the phone, it sounded okay to me. But then afterwards, when I'm going to edit, I'm like, oh, man, this sounds like garbage. I, you know, I wish I would have known when I was doing the recording. So I don't really have a least uh, favorite episode based on anything content wise. It's more just quality, audio quality. And uh, his final question is, what are the biggest changes you've experienced within the podcasting medium during your time? Uh, When Aaron and I first started podcasting back in 2012 with the Generation Y, we were talking about murder cases and trials and whatnot, and we had a lot of people writing uh, angry letters or questioning us, saying, what's your background? 
you're not authors, you're not investigators, you're not in the industry of crime or you know justice or whatever. Who are you to give commentary on a murder trial? Who are you to act like you know something about this? And it's funny because now everybody and their mother has a true crime podcast. So, and really with the, with the internet, everyone has an opinion about everything. We can all armchair quarterback a football game. And now we all armchair quarterback a murder trial. Yet when we first started, people were like, what are you doing? Like, who are you? So that's a major change I've seen in the industry. And another thing is just the popularity of podcasts. Obviously, Serial had a huge impact on the entire industry, no matter what genre you were in. It put podcasting on the map. It made podcasting more of a household name. Whereas before Serial, people would say, I have a podcast. And you know, you'd get the look like, what, what's that? The uh, first podcasting convention I ever went to was back in uh, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, back in, I think it was 2015, 2016. 90% of the podcasters there were for business marketing, 90% of them. And then the final 10% were a hodgepodge mess of storytelling, interview style, a hobby, whatever. So it's interesting to see that the industry has changed and true crime is now a huge part of the industry. Yet, you know, iTunes and Apple and a lot of places don't have a true crime genre. You know, it's they're still using like yellow pages categories and I don't get it. Um, so I hope to see it grow and get more specific. Uh, you know, if you go to look for music, you can look for metal, you can look for rap. And if you're in the metal category, you can drill down to subgenres and whatever. And I hope that uh, podcasting, we can get to that, that point where it's uh, a lot more accepted and uh, managed correctly. Uh, Shannon asks, is there a particular case you've covered that haunts you? If so, what is it and why? Uh, now, she says case, so I'm going to take this as a Generation Y question and less peripheral. <laughs> the uh, Richard Ramirez case and researching him, he's one of the scariest uh, serial killers out there because he was so random. He wouldn't stalk people for weeks or anything. He would just see somebody walking into their house with a bag of groceries and just follow them in. Uh, it was just, he was walking death and chaos. If you listen to uh, the Minds of Madness uh, Christmas Miracle episode, I give a full experience about how that case impacted me, but essentially it, it kept me up at night. I think it's Sasa or Saza Rooney. What advice would you give someone who's considering starting a podcast, someone just starting out? I would just do it, get a microphone, see what the topic is that you want to go with. Try not to pigeonhole yourself too much. And if nothing else, again, I, I just, I can't say this enough. Just take your phone out and hit record and talk into your phone for five minutes and then listen to it. 
see what you think. Do you like what you hear? Then go with it. Get a microphone. You don't have to spend more than $100 on a microphone. I promise you. And pick a topic that uh, you're passionate about. Pick a topic that you're knowledgeable about or you want to be knowledgeable about. Most of all, create something that you want to hear in the world. It's what you think is missing or you think you can do better. And do that. Addie, she asks, has your podcast changed the way you view others? If you were to start a new podcast, what would the main subject be? Um, My podcast has absolutely changed the way I view others (laughs) Uh, in good and bad ways. I will say that before I was in the public view, before I was uh, an internet uh, figure, public figure, whatever you want to call that, um, I would speak more off the cuff and not think about my words as much. And I started to gain a lot more empathy and sympathy for others' plight and others' uh, challenges in life. And I became super sensitive and empathetic to others. Meanwhile, being on the internet, I saw that other people are not very empathetic. I saw that people are very judgmental and do not care about other fellow humans. And we usually hear the term victim blaming in relation to rape and sexual assault. But if you really look, everybody victim blames everyone for everything. You left your doors unlocked. Oh, you got your stereo stolen. Maybe you shouldn't have left your doors unlocked. Oh, why were you in that bad part of town? You deserve what you got. And the level of people blaming people is astonishing to me. Not to say that people don't make bad decisions, but it's it's almost like, well, you brought that on yourself, so you deserve what you got. And that's really disgusting to me because I don't think anyone deserves what they got. I think that uh, if you chose poorly, that's fine, but I don't think anyone deserves to be robbed. No one deserves to be attacked. No one deserves to be verbally attacked on the internet. No one deserves whatever the issue is, whatever the transgression was. I don't I don't personally feel like, oh well, you made a bad choice, so you deserve whatever bad thing that happened to you. I just can't do it. I I sympathize with people and it doesn't matter if it's drug addiction. It doesn't matter if it's a poor choice they they've made because if I lose my empathy, if I lose sympathy for other humans, then I just don't care about anyone. Space shuttle burns up in the atmosphere. Oh, well, stupid astronauts, what'd you expect to happen? A cop gets shot. Well, that's what happens when you're a cop. No, no. That's the level that people are going to get to eventually with this complete lack of empathy for others. And I'm not down with that. So I start with even people that have made the worst decisions. I feel for them. It's made me more empathetic and it's uh, left me uh, feeling a little bit more disgusted with uh, others, other humans. (laughs) Backing up to the other question. If I were to start a new podcast, what would the subject be? 
between between the generation Y and the peripheral, we cover some pretty heavy stuff, and uh, sometimes I need a little bit of a comedic break. Uh, but I do have a uh, interest in true crime and society, so if I were to start a new podcast, uh, I would probably just start a news headline commentary thing where I would just read the weirdest uh, news headline crime stories in Florida and just make jokes about it. (laughs) Just really basic. Oh, today a man was attacked with a fish tank. How did, how did we think this might've happened? Uh, Just weird stuff like that. I would do something more lighthearted, I guess. Desdemona, hope I'm saying that right. She says, what is your favorite thing to do when you're not podcasting? I used to have favorite things to do. <laughs> uh, I used to uh, go to concerts. I used to uh, like to uh, watch movies. I used to like going to a bar and watching uh, UFC events. Uh, I, I am a fan of MMA. I don't really have the time to do my hobbies anymore, so... Uh. I, I want to get back to that point. Uh, I really like going to the beach. Uh, I don't even like getting in the ocean. I just like sitting there and turning my brain off and listening to the waves break against the shoreline. Uh, Carmen writes in, how much time goes into editing and recording an episode? I appreciate everything you guys do for us. For every minute of recorded audio, it takes me about two to three minutes of time to edit that one minute. So if it's an hour long uh, recording, it will take me at least two, probably closer to three hours. And when it comes to the low end, when I say two, that means that everything in the recording went perfectly. Everyone was speaking uh, fluently. And you have me editing who I've been doing this for many, many years now, and I'm very proficient at it. So typically, just editing time is triple, if not quadruple, the recording time. Now, you can cut that down by not editing. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to to me editing uh, the peripheral, some people are just better spoken than others. I want my listeners to empathize with my guest. So if they say like too often, I try to minimize that. If they say, um, or if they have a go-to word or phrase, I try to remove those because I want you to be focused on the story and not the way somebody speaks. I really want people to empathize and not be annoyed by uh, a speech pattern. You know, I, I've been editing Aaron and I for years now. We have go-to phrases, uh, not to pick on Aaron, but he starts every sentence with the word and. I stammer when I start speaking. I will double speak. I'll say I, 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 and, 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 and I take all of that out. Aaron and I will talk over each other on the Generation Y and then stop and one of us will restart. I will edit out all of these quirky speech patterns. I will edit out when we talk over each other as much as I can. It takes a lot of time and effort. Add in research time and then editing time Uh, The Generation Y can be a a 40-hour-a-week job, Uh, and then you add the peripheral in on top of that, where I'm trying to schedule with people and talk to them, interview them, 
And when I do interview somebody, I, I usually try to talk to them a little bit more than just their story. And, and then I have to take that and turn around and edit it. But I love doing it. Amy wrote in, and Amy's uh, one of our moderators on the Generation Y page. What's your favorite comfort thing? Food, TV show, music, comfort food. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I really like sushi uh, and ethnic food. So uh, sushi isn't really comfort food, uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe a really good Indian buffet, stuff like that. TV shows, uh, my all-time favorite TV show was The Old Twilight Zone from the 1950s and 60s. I will re-watch that show on occasion. Other shows that I was really into were uh, Breaking Bad, Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones, like everybody else. And, uh, and now I'm really into Black Mirror. Somebody else asks about music, so I'll get into that question later. But really, I just like, I just like doing nothing sometimes and just sleeping and relaxing. Uh, Julie writes in and says, are you and the other podcasters out there? Oh, Julie, I'm going to save your question for the end. Ashley, if you could have a day to sit down with somebody dead or alive, ask them any questions and have them answer, who would you choose and what would your question be? That's a hard one. Jeez, I should have thought about this before I uh, jumped in and started recording. I mean, I'd want to ask some president if uh, Area 51 and aliens are real. I would want to, uh, I'd want to ask uh, Heyman Lee what really happened. I would just really want answers to mysteries. Zombie925, and if you guys don't follow her on Instagram, she has a ridiculously entertaining profile. Uh, she said, I wanted to ask three questions. Do you have any tattoos? I noticed your beautiful wife is tatted up. What got you into true crime? And do serial killers interest you? I do have several tattoos. Um, they are mostly artwork from a band called Diatribe. It was an old uh, industrial band. And their artwork revolved around uh, this kind of goth looking girl in bondage and she's like a bondage angel. So I have her on my back and on my thigh. I also have 777 down my side uh, representing the day I married my wife. Um, what got you into true crime? Uh, when I was uh, growing up as a teenager, I uh, would make music, whether it be punk rock or dark industrial noise and i would always sample uh, things into the music i found myself sampling quotes from serial killers and uh other things just because i thought it was dark and creepy and sounded you know badass or whatever but i was paying attention to uh serial killers and just the uh worst monsters that walk among us when i was a kid so that translated later on in life. And when I went for jury duty in 2012 for the first degree murder trial and realized that everything I knew about court trials was wrong. <laughs> and uh, that's what really launched me into true crime. Although I would argue that back in 2012, at least in podcasting, the true crime genre didn't exist yet. Uh, do serial killers interest you? 
And I'm assuming that you're asking this because we don't cover a lot of serial killers on Generation Y. And yes, they do interest me. I do like understanding what drives a serial killer or psychopath. And I always have this sliding scale in my head of nature versus nurture, what caused this to happen. Uh, And I always feel that it's both nature and nurture. It's never one or the other. It's a combination of both. But I don't actually like covering serial killers as much anymore on the Generation Y, and nor does Aaron, because it's just a horrible human being with a trail of victims behind them. And it almost turns into the same story every time. It's just a sick individual who has destroyed and impacted hundreds of people's lives. It's not that interesting to retell the story anymore to me. It's not something that uh, uh, that interests me unless there's some crazy hook or something weird about it. I don't really like talking about it, at least on the Generation Y. It's not that I won't. You know, when we covered uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, it was only because it was one of the most requested uh, episodes. Otherwise, I probably would not have covered him. I did want to cover the Kansas City Butcher because it's a local serial killer and uh, Bob Berdella would be considered a, I don't know, C-list serial killer, although I find him to be one of the worst. I thought he was way worse than Jeffrey Dahmer. So I wanted to shed light on, you know, there are other serial killers out there besides Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, but really I don't have that much interest in covering them. Uh, Mission FBI, uh, where did you and your wife meet? Um, We met in Los Angeles. I share this story on uh, the Sexland podcast, which is now called The Unmentionables. I think it's episode six, but I happened to be out in Los Angeles on vacation. I was living in Kansas City at the time. Uh, I was hanging out with a friend. She was busy. She said, hang out with my roommate. He was busy and he said, hang out with this random girl I know. He called her on the phone and my soon-to-be wife picked up and said, I'm not hanging out with some dumb redneck from Kansas, although I live in Missouri, but, you know, two people on the East and West Coast, they don't know the difference. Uh, And he said, great, I'll drop him off in 15 minutes at your house. And so he dropped me off, and we went to an 80s nightclub, and uh, we've known each other ever since, and that was in 2002. Podcast Attic. Have you ever been in a situation where you feared for your life? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> yes and no. Uh, it's I know that sounds weird. Yes, but no. When we covered the Trayvon Martin case on the Generation Y, I, I think I gave uh, a version of the story. But uh, as most of you know, I am a gun owner and I do carry a gun with me. But that's not to say that I'm... Uh, looking to shoot anyone or looking for a fight. It's actually quite the opposite. When I do carry a gun, I am all about conflict avoidance. I'm all about running away from altercation. And when I don't have my gun on me, I will yell at people. I'm I'm a totally different person. But if I have one on me, then I'm like, I don't want to get into a, a physical altercation or even a verbal altercation that could escalate into anything. 
I don't want to be put in a situation where I have to defend myself. Long story short, sorry, I just wanted to preface that whole thing. Uh, I was walking behind my wife's shop. It's a, uh, it's like a dead end parking lot. So I'm walking to my car. My hands are full with uh, leftover food or something. And I see somebody kind of off to my right in between two cars. I just assume that it's somebody getting into their car. So I walk past them. And I will tell you right now that normally I'm a lot more alert than this. I'm a lot more, I have a lot more situational awareness, but for whatever reason, I was just spacing off that day. Uh, So I pass by this individual who's in between two cars, and now I am at the back end of this dead end parking lot. Well, I turn and look, and it's this huge freaking guy who's trying to break into a Mercedes. And he turns and looks at me. And he jumps out at me. <laughs> this is just the most ridiculous situation because I'm standing there and the guy's probably like 10 feet away from me. And he comes charging at me and he's got his fists up. And my first thought was, this is going to hurt. <laughs> and uh, in his charge, he kind of stumbled. And I immediately realized that he was wasted drunk. I, I, uh, bent down and set my food down real quick to get my hands free. (laughs) And I kind of did the man dance with them. I, you know, sort of like when boxers like, uh, are sparring off with each other and they, they circle. So my back is almost facing this dead end parking lot. And this guy is cutting off my only exit, which is getting out of the parking lot. So I have my hands up and I'm sort of circling with them. I'm trying to get so we circle each other without actually having to throw a punch. And he's actually thrown a punch, but he stumbles when he does it. So I can easily evade it. But again, this guy is huge. Even drunk, he would have taken me in a physical altercation any day of the week. I am not that good of a fighter and I'm not that strong. I've had desk jobs all my life. I need to exercise more. Anyways. I spin out of this uh, little man dance I'm doing with them. And now my back is towards the exit of the parking lot. And I think I said something smart to him, like, see you later, bye. And I turned and I ran to the local restaurant where I know the owner and the owner owns that parking lot. Now, regardless, I was just running to go say, hey, there's some dude in the parking lot, breaking into cars, and he just attacked me. So I get up to the bar, and I just kind of blurt it out at the bartender, who then turns and looks at the cook, who happens to have this huge butcher knife in his hand, and he says, there's some dude in the parking lot attacking people. And the cook runs outside with the butcher knife. And all I thought was, that's cool, you go kill him, because I don't want to. I had my gun on me. Missouri is a constitutional carry, stand-your-ground state. But I don't want to get involved with that. So Cook with the butcher knife can go deal with this. Dude runs off when he sees a guy with a huge knife running at him. I walk outside, and there's people out on the patio area, and they start telling me, yeah, that guy's been out there for like 30, 45 minutes harassing people and trying to break into cars. And I'm thinking, 
and no one called the cops? <laughs> like, is there <laughs> like what's going on here? Um, so that was pretty scary because I just happened to be the one guy that walked into this guy's uh, area and he wanted to attack me. I'm sure this dude has family. I'm sure this guy uh, might have children. Uh, and I don't want to go to court and have and have to defend myself for shooting somebody. So I found an exit, but that was probably one of the scariest uh, things that's ever happened to me. I've had other times where people have come at me for things, but this was the most recent. And I think being that I almost got punched by him, that would be the most serious. Uh, True crime and snack time. Love the name. What makes you choose the stories you do? And is it the individual personal experience or is it the message behind the person's experience that makes you choose to cover them? I don't really choose the stories. They choose me. <laughs> they uh, People write into me and I just go through them. And if I've covered addiction already, then I will choose something else. I will cherry pick somebody else's story about something, whatever it is. And I'm just going through what people have written to me and then trying to break it up. So I don't do two or three episodes about the same topic. I wish there was more to it than that. I do care about the message and I do want to uh, convey a good message, but at the end of the day, it's, it's storytelling. It's their story. And I want them to tell it however they want to tell it. And kind of a follow-up, how do you choose or decide who you have as a guest speaker or those who have a story worth telling? And this is hard because some people can write a very elaborate email to me. I'm very interested. But then we interview. Uh, the story is uh, not as interesting. Or vice versa. Somebody can write in an email and say, yeah, I've experienced this horrible thing. Like two sentences. And then I get them on the phone and they tell the most elaborate, interesting story I've ever heard. It's really hard. And you don't know until you have somebody on the phone what's going to happen. Amanda writes in, has anyone ever contacted you about an episode and how it's helped them in their life? What episode and how has it helped? Oh, man. Um, yes, I get contacted all the time about how an episode has helped somebody. And it's been almost every single episode I've ever covered. So, uh, you know, whether it be OCD or bulimia or whatever, um, I, I've received an email about every single one and how it has impacted somebody. Even if it's just, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was all alone in this. And now I heard somebody else tell my story for me. So I, I'm sorry, I can't really pick out a particular episode, but really it's just raising awareness and it's uh, showing others that what they're going through, uh, it happens to a lot of people and um, there is help out there. And a lot of people have written in and said, because of your podcast and because of your uh, encouragement to seek out help, therapy, whatnot, I've gone and done that. And that makes me very happy. Sarah, second question here. Uh, were you surprised by the reaction of any particular episode? Which one? And why did it surprise you? Blood is thicker than water. 
I had two guests on. Um, both guests were female uh, and there were daughters and how they uh, didn't, they no longer got along, got along with their parents, uh, whether it be their mother or their father and, uh, and how they cut their parent or parents out of their lives. That episode blew up and so many people wrote in and I just assumed that, you know, if you don't get along with your parents, you just don't talk to them anymore. I mean, I treat my family the same way I would treat a friend or anyone. If somebody's toxic and not bringing anything positive into your life, you don't need to talk to them. You don't need that kind of negativity and you won't grow as a person if you have somebody that's that toxic in your life. And so that episode, Blood is Thicker Than Water, I didn't realize how much of an impact that would have because I, I more or less just you know thought, well, not everybody has perfect parents and you wouldn't talk to them anymore. But it, it seemed to give people a release. It seemed to let them know that it's okay if you no longer talk to your mom or dad. It's okay if you no longer associate with a family member that is toxic in your life. And that was really, uh, that was really good to hear. Uh, do you have any regrets or things that you wish you'd done differently in your podcasting uh, journey? This was kind of asked earlier. Uh, I will say that I don't regret much in life. Anytime I make a mistake, I feel like it's a lesson learned. And I would have never learned that lesson if I'd never screwed up in the first place. <laughs> so again, if I were to do things differently, it would have been asking for help. It would have been uh, accepting uh, people's love and support a lot sooner than I did. Uh, Amy also asked, how do you choose or decide who you have on as a guest speaker and whose story is worth telling? Dude on Twitter, uh, mflounder63. What's your favorite skinny puppy record? That's a toss up between Vivisect 6 and Too Dark Park. Uh, if you put a gun to my head, I might choose Vivisect. <laughs> and uh, Kelly wrote in, I know you like Skinny Puppy. What are some other bands or artists you like? Oh, Kelly, you're going to get a big answer here. <laughs> um, I was... I was really into goth industrial music as uh, a teenager. So Skinny Puppy and anything related to Skinny Puppy, Download, Ogre. Uh, I was really into industrial music. So Nitzareb, KMFDM, Ministry, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, Pig Face, uh, even Nine Inch Nails. As far as goth goes, you had Bauhaus, Sisters of Mercy. And then later on, you had that like, emo electro clash with the faint and she wants revenge i was also kind of a skate punk back in the day so uh, punk rock hardcore uh, minor threat fagazi social distortion crass operation ivy bikini kill misfits murder city devils clutch downset vision of disorder i was also really into uh, the indie rock scene uh, touch and go anything steve albini related uh, the Jesus Lizard, Big Black, Girls Against Boys, Slint, Arc Welder, The Pixies, Mud Honey. And as most of you know, I'm really into metal, but I'm very picky about the metal and subgenres that I listen to. And, uh, you know, you have Slayer, Godflesh, Pig Destroyer, Sepultura, Meat Hook Seed, Nail Bomb. But I also 
love, say, Lana Del Rey. <laughs> uh, she's one of the the newest singers out there that I, I really appreciate. Um, one of my favorite bands that uh, I've discovered in the last decade is called uh, A Whisper in the Noise. If the Dresden Dolls and uh, Trent Reznor had a baby, uh, it would be A Whisper in the Noise. Sarah Bowman asks, does it creep you out like to have that many fans? How do you maintain your private persona with your public one? It, it is a little weird uh, when people know things about you and you don't know anything about them and uh, they know or they think they know you, uh, but all they really know is your voice on a podcast. Sometimes I'm a little uncomfortable if somebody else is nervous to meet me and they put me up on some sort of pedestal and think I'm something else. Anytime I go to a meetup, there are inevitably will be somebody that's uh, scared to introduce themselves. And sometimes they'll even have a few drinks to get that liquid courage to come talk to me. I, I'm just a regular guy. I'm a normal person. I'm not scary. And I, you know, I know that's not going to help with introducing yourself, but uh, I am a normal person. There's a lot of pressure on me. Uh, people will look to me and my opinions on things and will hang on my every word. I don't ever want to be like a cult leader kind of guy. I don't want people to think that everything I say is gospel. Nothing else. I want people to uh, hear what I have to say, understand that it might not uh, align with their point of view. And if it doesn't align, maybe reevaluate why they feel the way they do. Uh, the only time it gets creepy is when... Uh, you know, somebody starts stalking me or, uh, the other day I was actually doxxed on Twitter by a particular group out there that, uh, doesn't really care for me. That's never happened before. And I guess I'm lucky that in the, uh, six, seven years I've been podcasting, I've never had somebody post my personal information, but it happened on Twitter the other day. I reported it and had the tweet taken down within hours. So thank you, Twitter. I think there's been some other tweets about me and uh, posts on Reddit where people do post personal information about me, but it wasn't as egregious as what happened the other day. I won't bother naming them or outing them the way they do me or others. I won't lower myself to their uh, despicable behavior. How do I separate my personal and public life? I do my best. Uh, honestly, if I could go back and do it all over again, I might have uh, pulled a case file and kept my identity secret. I might not have uh, put my name and my face out there, especially now when uh, idiots want to dox me. Steve writes in, uh, "Do you? what's your favorite drink and do you smoke pot? Uh, you know, I, I said everything was on, on the table here. So uh, I became allergic to beer several years ago. Or I probably was always allergic to beer, but it finally became apparent to me that I shouldn't be drinking beer any longer because of its effects on me. And I never drank whiskey or bourbon in my entire life. So uh, I now have a taste for whiskey and bourbon. It was just weird how my palate changed once I removed something from my diet. I would say Woodford Reserve or Templeton Rye are my favorites. Uh, but that said, I 
don't really drink anymore. I don't really do drugs anymore. I don't I don't really need to uh, alter my mindset. <laughs> I don't need that sort of escapism. Uh, if you see me drunk or high, I am not a fun person. I am not uh, more interesting or anything. I am far more interesting when I'm sober and I can engage you and talk to you and think of all the names of the actors in the movies or serial killers or victims or whatever. I'm far more engaged when I'm sober and uh, I. it took me a long time to realize that uh, Doing drinking and doing drugs did not make me a uh, better person, and nor does it make me feel good. I, I feel like crap the next day. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's that. Julie wrote wrote in and said, "Are you and other podcasters out there doing any better at not letting the BS people throw at you not get to you?" I think my episode, uh, so you might be a podcaster, uh, hit home. It really exposed a lot of the uh, online harassment that a podcasters get and even more so anyone that uh, does online content whether it be blogging uh, YouTube videos whatever it is uh, you put yourself out there and uh, uh, people are really mean and vicious and you know people will say haters are gonna hate you know they're just bullies and trolls uh, these people live in their basements and hate themselves but really think about when you comment on the internet, when you say something, is it a complaint? Is it critical? Is it positive? Uh, not everyone that says something hateful and mean on the internet is a depressed, you know, a depressed, uh, pathetic person living in their parents' basement. People say mean shit all the time. And a lot of the time they feel uh, justified or righteous in doing it. I hope that that episode helped some people. I will say that I'm uh, I'm much better at taking uh, criticism these days. I I really avoid most of it. Uh, you know, as I said, I don't read the reviews much anymore. So I do pretty well unless it's some sort of uh, targeted attack by uh, certain groups out there on the interwebs, or if uh, sometimes other podcasters can get kind of catty and. Uh, align themselves against other podcasters. It's it's sort of childish and, and drama-filled, but most of the podcast community is very supportive and kind, but not all of them. I try to stay out of the drama and the BS. I try to be very supportive towards other podcasters, no matter who they are. I would rather be responsible for somebody's success than somebody's downfall. I would get no joy out of taking somebody down. I only feel good if I'm either seeing somebody succeed or if I'm even possibly influencing somebody to choose better ways in life. So it's, uh, it's really bothersome that others uh, get off on tearing others down and not trying to put something good out there. I, th I think that's all the questions I have. Uh, I I've kind of lost track here. So if you did submit a question and I didn't answer it, I apologize. I've been talking for an hour now, so that probably is long enough. <laughs> uh, hopefully this was enjoyable and not too boring and I didn't linger too much on uh, 
how to create a podcast and all the ins and outs, or hopefully you found it uh, fascinating. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I have one more episode I'm putting out before the end of the year. And then January, I have a couple episodes that uh, from my Patreon supporters that I'd interviewed and I've been promising them for months now. So those are on the way. Stay tuned. <laughs>